You're locked on the Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. If you like what you're hearing and want to stay tuned to the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, Megaphone, and the Odyssey app. Doing so is free and doesn't cost you a single cent. Before we get this podcast underway, I did want to tell you about one of our other shows that I think you should be listening to every single day, because you need more hockey news, and Locked On NHL is here to fill the gap. It's our daily podcast on everything happening in the league. Subscribe and listen each day for a quick look at the biggest stories and game recaps. Subscribe to Locked On NHL today wherever you get your favorite shows. And now on to the meat of tonight's podcast, which there are some very interesting things to go over. I thought I would talk about uh, a couple of early thoughts from some of these first two games of the playoff series. Um, Obviously, we have the Islanders versus Tampa Bay, and then we have Vegas versus Montreal. In kind of continuing some of our fun off-topic discussion, I also thought I would talk about some of the interesting insights from the early Euro 2020 games, and why there might actually be some overlap in the way that we think about hockey and and football. I think there are some really good cross-sports connections that Really, you know, if you start to think about it, make a lot of sense. Let's talk about the Islanders versus Tampa Bay last night, which was a game that I didn't really get a huge chance to watch. I caught the tail end of it around the third period or so, and it was an interesting watch because I felt like at this point Tampa Bay was down 2 nothing, and they were pressing pretty aggressively to find the tying goal. They did actually scratch one back on a power play late in the game. It was about a minute and a half left in the third period, but unfortunately for the Lightning, wasn't really enough. I had a chance to see, I believe it was the Pulak goal that ended up beating uh, Vasilevsky from the point for a 2-0 lead. This one I felt was a little bit weak from Vasilevsky. Usually he doesn't struggle with point shots. I don't recall if there was like maybe a very small deflection. I'm pretty sure the shooting lane was wide open, which is partially on Tampa Bay's defense, but by the same token, Vasilevsky should have seen it pretty easily. He actually had the read. It just seemed like he sort of missed it. Which, you know, to goaltenders does happen, even to the best of them. We've seen Fleury let in some really bad howlers. Connor Hellebuck certainly not immune to this. It happens from time to time, but in a critical game in which you are down only one goal prior to that third period, you just really can't afford to be giving that up. It kind of breaks the spirit sometimes for a team that's struggling to solve the goaltender at the other end. Tampa Bay, from my eye, looked pretty decent. I felt like they were trying a lot of different point shots, looking for tip deflections. Basically all the stuff that they love to do. There were some really good cross-slot passes, but I'll say this for the Islanders. I thought that they were in pretty good position to answer and block when they needed to. Obviously, the Islanders are not going to play like a really brilliant-looking game. New York has always been one of those teams that has a little bit more of a workmanlike roster than some of the other really high-end teams out there, which, it's not the worst thing. Barry Trotz, I think, does a really good job of taking rosters like that and making them play pretty well. Like any coach, Barry Trotz certainly has his idiosyncrasies. I remember when he was with the Caps, there were decisions that he would make that would just be extremely frustrating for me. But ultimately, he did finally win a cup, and he wasn't quite the lame duck that he was looking to be once he won that that title. Over the years, it's become very apparent that Trotz had a huge hand in making Washington a, a really successful roster. 
you know, when he was with the Preds, I thought Nashville was a pretty good team. But what he did with Washington, and more recently the Islanders, it's pretty darn brilliant stuff. Again, it's not a perfect system, and I do think that Tampa Bay actually has quite a few good openings to, you know, pull ahead in this series at some point. I'm sure that they're going to win game number two, and even if they don't, I don't think that they're going to be that stressed about it. Tampa Bay looked very dangerous, especially late in that third period, and if the Islanders start to tire out, the Lightning have all the firepower in the world to turn that series against them very quickly. If you start to give the Tampa Bay Lightning a few more power plays and stuff, I don't think the Isles are going to be able to survive that. You know, Varlamov is pretty good in net, and Sorokin has shown at times that he can be, you know, pretty strong when you call upon him, and certainly he has the ability to stonewall some really great shooters, but I just don't know about trying to stop the Tampa Bay Lightning for a seven-game series. There's obviously a bit of motivation here for, uh, you know, the Islanders to revenge their last season loss to the, uh, the, to the Lightning, so... I could see that maybe they're a little bit more fired up and they're ready for the series, but I think it's going to be a tough one. It's a seven-game series. I wouldn't be shocked if Tampa ties it in game number two. I think that this is going to go the full distance at least. It could be maybe a six-game series if, I don't know, one of these two teams ends up tiring out or maybe they get goalied, but I feel like it's one of those series that's going to be a full seven-gamer. The Islanders have managed to get an answer when they've called upon some of their top players like Pajot and Brock Nelson. Certainly Matt Barzal has been a major factor, but it's going to be a tight series. I think Vasilevsky is going to rebound after maybe not the best showing on a couple of goals. He had saved quite a few really dangerous opportunities and then kind of led in a couple of stinkers. Again, though, I wouldn't be surprised if he answers back in a major way in game number two. Certainly, Vasilevsky was a Vezina finalist this year and absolutely deserved it. One of the top goaltenders in the NHL this season. And honestly, I just have a really hard time betting against the, the Lightning. I feel like no matter how well the Islanders clog the, the slot and shut down the neutral zone, it's going to be very difficult for them to contain Tampa Bay forever. Even when the Lightning fall behind, they always find a way to answer back somehow, even if it takes them more than a couple of games. I do think the Lightning still win this series, either in six or seven games. It, it's going to probably take at least five to six, but this has a crazy seven-game series written all over it. I'm interested to see how Trotz approaches shutting down Tampa Bay's rush offense. I felt like Tampa Bay had to settle for a lot of point shots and stuff, and then, you know, once once the Islanders sort of clog those slot areas, does Tampa Bay start to look for more peripheral shots? Late in the game, they did attempt a lot of slap shots and, and point shots from either the face-off circle or really high up in the zone, which, you know, it's not really their style. I don't think I, I, I tend to see them collapsing towards the slot a lot more often. They love cross-slot passes and seam passes that allow them to go high to low really quickly, so if the Islanders continue to shut that down, I'd be curious to know how the Lightning respond. Either way, I think it's going to be a really fun series, and I'm very interested to see which team ends up surviving. If the Islanders end up avenging their series loss from last year, whew, all bets are off for the Stanley Cup Final. Of course, this semifinal between Tampa Bay and New York isn't the only one ongoing. We have another game that has just kicked off, and I'll have some early thoughts from this series in just a moment. Before then, I thought you should know about why you should be using Credit Karma right now. Who doesn't want instant gratification? If you're looking for satisfaction, there's no need to wait. With Credit Karma Money, you could win cash reimbursements for debit purchases. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements by just making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win daily instant karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your instant karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Open your FDIC insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. 
and when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll be automatically entered to win $1 million. Right now, visit creditkarma.com slash winmoney to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com slash winmoney to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com slash winmoney. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are taking a look at some early semifinals playoff rounds action. Obviously, it's not going to include Winnipeg hockey, but hey, I guess we're supporting the Montreal Canadiens or something. Although, if you ask me, Winnipeg losing to a Montreal Canadiens team that would then beat the uh, the Vegas Golden Knights actually isn't that great of a good thing because then the Jets will use the excuse that, well, they faced the Stanley Cup finalist and lost. That must mean the Jets were actually good, when the reality is, no, Winnipeg was pretty poor against a team that they frankly shouldn't have been embarrassed by. All that said, I wasn't really sure what to expect from this series because, let's be honest, the Montreal Canadiens never expected to end up where they are right now, and I'm sure that if you asked anyone at the start of this postseason picture, no one would have had the Habs advancing this far. Right from puck drop, though, it was clear that the uh, the Habs were actually looking to create a lot of chaos early. I felt like they were taking advantage of maybe a slightly sluggish Vegas Golden Knights start. You know, Marc-Andre Fleury turned over the puck pretty early, really risky pass that almost got picked off and turned into a goal against, and the Habs were just swarming all over Vegas's defensive zone. It felt like Montreal was aggressively intercepting passing lanes, shutting down opportunities, and trying to break up any of Vegas's breakout attempts. It's the sort of stuff that we saw them do against the Jets, but against a much better opponent, and I was curious to know how long it would take Vegas to eventually work their way out of it. I don't really think the Knights actually solved it, to be honest, because even though they did eventually break out and get a couple of really good offensive rushes, for the most part it seemed like Montreal had the better chances. The primary difference maker was definitely Fleury. He was absolutely insane and made some jaw-dropping saves, along with some helpful defensive blocks from his teammates to keep the Knights at a nothing-nothing draw to start the game. Were it not for Fleury, I would imagine that Montreal could have been up 2-3 to three goals. It was that messy, especially early. But as the period started to wear on, you could tell that, you know, Vegas wasn't going to sit back, and they were going to start to push the tempo a bit. The thing with Vegas is that you can never underestimate them, even if they're playing poorly, and they put this to the test when they actually scored the opening goal of the game with a long-distance point shot thanks to Shea Theodore. I think either Stone or Pacioretty was screening the goalie in, in, in front of the net, so obviously Price didn't really have a chance to look. Whoever the night skater was had an opposing Montreal skater tied up in front of the net, and Price never really saw the lane. He was peeking to the wrong side, blocked off, and Shea Theodore just went to the left post and scored pretty easily. You really can't give Vegas any sort of shooting lanes, because even if they don't have forwards that are in great positions, their D often activate pretty aggressively, and Shea Theodore has an ability to shoot long-distance shots that have almost seeing-eye properties. That Vegas blue line is very skilled at activating offensively and scoring some pretty nice opportunities, so not a team that you can really waste opportunities against. I will say that I thought that Montreal still responded pretty positively, even though they did concede a couple of really good chances to Vegas and ended up taking a late penalty, Overall, I was pretty impressed with how the Habs handled it. I thought that the pressure was good, the aggression was good, and were it not for Fleury, I would have expected them to be up in the game. So, going into the second period, I'm curious to see if, in fact, they make any adjustments. I think Ducharme's got them playing pretty well. I would maybe like to see a bit more offensive opportunities coming from their blue line. I think that their blue liners can actually support the forwards and help get past Fleury, because right now he's pretty much shutting down just about everything down low in the in the slot area, so it's going to be difficult for Montreal to score anything that's, you know, right up front. 
the Habs are probably going to have to have some sort of trailing skater that can drop in and fill in with a great scoring opportunity off of a rebound or something once Flurry has committed to a read and is already repositioning or out of position. So I think that that's going to be the way that they can tie this game. Overall, though, I'm pretty impressed with the start. I thought Montreal might be in over its head, but it's not going to be the kind of sweep that people were expecting. Even if the Habs don't win a single game, I wouldn't be surprised if they played a really tight series all the same. I thought that, you know, this would be a tough one for them, especially with the Jets not putting up much of a fight, but maybe a softer series that was a sweep for them actually gave them enough rest to recharge and get ready for this series. It is noticeable that Jeff Petrie is out. Petrie has been one of their primary contributors on the blue line, and not having him in is definitely going to be a huge loss. He can contribute at both ends of the ice, and offensively, Petrie is very gifted. Even though this playoff run has been a bit, you know, harder for him, he's definitely not a guy that Montreal is enjoying being without. He's a very key part of everything that they do, and certainly, against this Vegas Golden Knights team, they really can't afford to lose anyone important like that. That Habs blue line does not have a ton of depth, and it's going to be a tight series without him. I still think Vegas is probably going to take this one regardless of how well Montreal plays, but all that said, nice to see the Habs are at least putting up a good fight. I expect it to be a fun series. I don't think the Habs are going to get swept, but, you know, it's going to be a tough out for them to try and actually get through this Vegas team. You know, the Knights, with the way that they handled Colorado, and, and certainly with their strong regular season record, I just don't really see an opportunity here for Montreal to really get through unless Price is perfect, and he would have to be at, at a level that's simply astonishing with how Fleury's playing. It gives me very depressing flashbacks to when the Jets played Vegas a couple of years ago. If y'all remember that series... Unfortunately for the Jets, Marc-Andre Fleury again kind of turned it on. I thought maybe that would be like a fluky season or whatever from Fleury, but it actually seems like he's just darn good now. And it's kind of cool to see that because for a while, I think Fleury was thought to be basically on the way out of the league. He went from being a fan favorite, but still kind of a cast off that was aging out of the uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins to being a pretty great starter here for Vegas. It's kind of crazy because I thought Lerner would actually push him and end up being the lead guy, but Fleury has reclaimed his spot. And in pretty emphatic fashion, you know, he definitely got a Vesna finalist award this year. He's definitely earned that nomination. And I wouldn't be shocked if more than a few voters actually choose him in the final round of selections. He won't win it most likely. I think Vasilevsky still takes it. But, you know, Fleury definitely has a pretty good shot at it. He should certainly at least be in the running for the Conn Smythe at this rate with just how great he's been, especially against Colorado and right now against the Habs. It's just a shame that he couldn't be worse against the Jets a couple of seasons ago rather than being the guy who looks like the Vesna Trophy winner right now. I'll have more thoughts on this game on tomorrow's episode, including a, uh, a recap on basically the remaining periods and some thoughts on whether or not Montreal performed up to standard or if the Knights ended up flying away. For the last part of tonight's show, though, I did want to talk about the Euros. I think that it's been a really fun tournament so far, and to be honest, there's quite a bit of crossover for hockey and football fans. Before then, though, I thought you should hear about why Built Bar is the best-tasting protein bar on the market. If you're a long-time listener of this podcast, by now you know that I'm personally a huge fan of Built Bars. Not sure why? It's because it's the only protein bar that tastes more like a candy bar, with a 100% chocolate exterior and a soft, chewy interior. Built Bar comes in nine delicious flavors like mint brownie, raspberry, cherry, coconut, coconut almond, and more. But you'll always want to stay tuned to their social media channels and their website because Bilt Bar often releases very special, limited edition, limited quantity flavors. And if you miss them, you may never see them again. Believe me when I say flavors like churro puff are absolute can't misses. As good as Bilt Bars taste, they're even better for you, with most bars clocking in at around 130 to 180 calories, 70 to 18 grams of protein, and 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. 
They're perfect for every single lifestyle. So place your order right now. Go to BillBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 at checkout for 15% off at BillBar.com. When it comes to the wild, wacky, wonderful world of online betting, you need to know that there's a safe, reliable name that you can trust every single time. That's why you should look no further than the fine folks at BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action. Baseball and hockey season are in full swing, and you can track all the action at BetOnline. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including the MLB, NBA, NHL, UFC, MMA, international soccer, and every sport in between. No matter what you're into, BetOnline has your back. Before the next pitch or face-off, head on over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up for bonuses, and enter all the contests your heart desires. Stop sitting on the sidelines and join your favorite teams as they begin their quest for playoff glory. Win as your favorite teams win. Getting started couldn't be easier. Log on to betonline.ag on your laptop or mobile device, and when you register for a free account, be sure to use promo code Locked On to receive a matched 50% welcome bonus when you make your very first deposit. Again, that's promo code Locked On at registration to receive a 50% welcome bonus at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome back to this episode of the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are closing out tonight with some thoughts from the early Euro matches. If you've seen the Euros, you probably know it's been a pretty wild start to the tournament. One of the highlights definitely was the Czech Republic today facing off against Scotland. If you didn't see that one, you missed one of the wonder goals you'll ever see across all sporting competitions, really. Um, Patrick Sheik ended up lobbing a massive midfield goal, which you don't often see. The keeper was pressed pretty high up the pitch, almost to the midfield line trying to support his teammates, and when the ball conveniently bounced back off of a deflection to Patrick Schick, you know, he just sort of lobbed it, caught the keeper, and seriously drilled one home from distance. You don't often see this. It's a pretty rare occurrence, but it was a fabulous, wonderful goal. Schick also had a header, so he had a very complete performance, just shy of what I would call the hat Schick. Sorry, I can't avoid another good pun. That was almost there for me, but unfortunately, Patrick did not get the third goal. I'm sure a lot of folks were also peeking in at Netherlands versus Ukraine, and somehow the Dutch almost blew a lead. They ended up narrowly winning 3-2, but man, the Dutch team... I feel like under Frank DeBoer, I'm not really sure if I trust them all that much. DeBoer, for me, over the years, has had a bit of a mixed career. I felt like his tenure in the MLS wasn't very good, and certainly when he was managing Ajax, he kind of fell short of expectations. Behind the bench for the Dutch, I'm not really convinced he's the guy to lead them to glory, but this is a pretty crazy tournament, so anything can happen. That said, they're going to have to be a lot more defensively resolute and avoid giving up silly goals and counters to Ukraine and other teams that they frankly need to be taking care of business against. I also felt like England's performance was kind of like, okay, Jaden Sancho not even being on the bench is just frankly embarrassing. He should be in the starting lineup for that team. But Sancho somehow being held out is pretty crazy unless there was a directive to do so. I don't know if Southgate just feels he wasn't really ready or had some sort of an injury, but either way, if Sancho is healthy and not in the match, that's embarrassing. The marquee matchup of this first day, though, is definitely going to be France versus Germany. I think France is probably going to take this one by a comfortable margin. They have one of the deepest teams in the world, and it's going to be very difficult for Germany, which has seen its fortunes decline over the past few years, match its best 11 against the French national team. You know, France, they just have an insane roster. When you look at their reserves, you could probably build four to five great clubs out of just their reserves, and that's not even touching their top 11. Germany over the past few seasons has definitely been on the more mediocre side. Under the new leadership of Hansi Flick, I think they're hoping that this is the turnaround time and that Germany is prepared to really engage and move forward with the program, but I don't know if it's going to be enough, you know... Joachim Löw is actually going to be managing the rest of this Euro tournament, and then after that he will resign, but for the time being, he's still in charge. And under his leadership, Germany has definitely declined. 
I feel like he's still a capable manager in some respects. I just feel like his time with Germany is definitely at an end. France are the clear favorites of this tournament, and I'm not sure it's all that close. No one else just has anywhere near the depth and skill that France can command. They're a terrifying team. When you look at some of the other powerhouse nations like Spain and, and certainly Germany, even England, the English are the only ones really capable of matching up against uh, France's best 11, and even then it's still going to be a very tight matchup. I would imagine that England would have to be nearly perfect to pull off the win. It's still possible, but the, you know, the French team is just monstrous, and their reserves and injury replacements are enough to really make anyone blush. That said, you know, this is a short tournament, so anything can happen. Maybe we see a massive upset and somehow France are eliminated in a crazy game. We'll see soon enough. They start their journey tomorrow against Germany, and maybe the Germans can surprise the uh, the tournament favorites. Let me know who you're rooting for at HLivingLocal and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. For tonight's podcast, though, that is going to do it. Before you log off, don't forget to tune in to Locked On Today. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app wherever you get your favorite shows. And as always, thanks for listening. Have a great night, and go Jets go!